Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And uh, let's we're going to get to the Patreon shout outs really fast. All right. So for those of you who are new to this, um, the way it works is you donate to our Patreon and then we, Young Me and I will try to guess how you fuck based on your name alone. Yes. And my psychic abilities. I'm going to just keep saying that until Ryan remembers that I'm psychic. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) if you want to support the podcast, please donate at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. And without further ado, young me, are you ready for our first shout out? Yes. Okay. First shout out goes to Teresa Han. Oh, God. Teresa Han Bible Group. Teresa Han. <laughs> she, I feel like this is a callback to a previous episode, but Teresa Han is like like so mean and so like straightforward Christian Korean girl, <laughs> you know, from the outside. But then she's given hand jobs in the back row Korean church. You know what I mean? Would you say that it makes her powerful? Like, a, like oh, so it's a good lay. It's a good, she, I don't know. See, I feel like that's a kind of, kind of a common trope where you have like a religious person, but then secretly right. they're a freak in the bedroom. In this instance, I'm just going to say Teresa Han, super bitchy church girl, also a bad lay. Okay. You know what? <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's like, that's more, uh, that's more like, uh, what's like unique. You never, you know, <laughs> you never, you, you always want to hear about like this super like uptight church girl being like a freak in the bedroom, right. but we've heard that. You're right. Yeah. So Teresa Han, She's horrible in the bedroom. Please, Is that what you please said? continue to donate to our Patreon, even though we are putting you on blast right now and saying <laughs> that you're horrible at sex. <laughs> okay, cool. Are this you feels ready? bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's next? <laughs> the next, uh, our second shout out goes to Andrew Tran. Andrew, I'm getting college person vibes. Okay, in college. I don't know. You start. I got to I gotta tap into my psychic energy okay, for a while second. Okay, while you tap into your psychic energy, extremely college vibes. He's just very responsible. He always has a condom on him just in case his partner doesn't have any on their person. He puts hmm. his hookup times in his Google Cal and it usually falls after bio 113 study he group puts on his Tuesdays. Hookups in his calendar? Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't judge. That's my guess right. based on Andrew Tran. Okay, you know what? Yeah, I think you're right. You're the one with the psychic abilities and you're just agreeing with I me. I feel like I'm really hungover and I feel like the psychic abilities are like nilch. Like yeah, I just see him at the club, you know. I see him at the club, and then yeah, studying very hard, which is I don't know, maybe racist towards Asians, <laughs> but that's what I'm feeling. Thank you for donating to our Patreon. <laughs> All right, our last Patreon Total shout shame. out for yeah. this episode is Michael Luo. Okay, straight up, I'm going to say it. Michael Luo is sounds like a buff Asian name. I'm definitely seeing a, a, like a ripped upper body. Yes. Like very, I see that. Yeah. It's like a ripped Asian bro. I think maybe like, I think maybe like tribal tattoo, shoulder tribal Michael tattoo. Michael ripped Asian bro, exclusively hooks up with white girls. Right. No, I, I don't feel that way. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I'm, all I can see is the tribal tattoo. <laughs> I'm questioning your psychic abilities. I told right you now. I'm hungover. <laughs> They're, they don't work when I'm hungover. But what if this is like all really accurate and then I get freaked out and then every time we record, I, I like force myself to be hungover. Oh my God. You In a previous I mean? episode, yeah. you know how you made that statement that your worst 
nightmare would be to just submit yourself to a nine to five corporate work life. Yeah. And I said like, oh, like work as an account manager at Havas Media. Yeah. And the person we roast on the Patreon messaged me the next day and said, you don't have to go so hard, bro. I'm starting at Havas <laughs> Media as an account manager <laughs> in two weeks. Maybe you're, you've been the psychic all along. That would be very Kung Fu master of me just to have this secret ability, but just never don't said never it. say it. Just let me. I just me. know on the inside. <laughs> So I'll stand by that. Michael Lowe, super ripped Asian guy, exclusively hooks up with white girls. Let's see what he says. If Michael comes back and says that that's true, that confirms that Brian is in fact the psychic. (laughs) I'm just, you know, mentally ill. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, um, All right. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for donating to our Patreon. And should we introduce our guest now, Young Uh, Yes, please. I'm so excited. Also, I was kind of nervous doing the roast because I feel like this person's like really funny. And I just feel like maybe that's why I was like trying to be like, I don't know. I have nothing (laughs) funny. (laughs) Um, Guys. Our guest this week is, I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. He's an incredibly talented comedian. I'm sure you've caught his late night sets before. But without further ado, please give your ears to Joel Kim Booster. Yay. Hey, guys. I thought you guys were doing an excellent job. I thought... I'm sorry if my presence diminished your psychic powers. Oh um, no, that was all the that was all the tequila chugging I was doing okay. last night, Joel. Don't worry. Oh, we were not. in the same the, the same headspace then. Um, we were. Right now, we're both feeling a little rough uh, around the edges. I think from <laughs> uh, our 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 responsible social hangs yesterday. <laughs> Dude, did you hear my hard swallow? You know when you're hungover and you're like people are talking. You're like, yep. <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Is it hot in here? (laughs) That's like the kind of hungover I am right now. Okay, so how did we do, Joel, on those those, Those the the sex style guesses? I thought those all sounded spot on, personally. I really did. I thought like, what was it? Karen Hahn? Christian Teresa girl? Hahn. Teresa Hahn. Teresa Hahn. Teresa right. Hahn. Girl, but sucks at, as bad as Yeah, me. like I knew that I knew that girl. I went to I went to Bible study with that girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and she I was think mean that, yeah. to me. <laughs> and I think I think Ryan, you were right about the the last guy, Brian Lowe. Yes. Um but I actually think he fucks Asian girls. I think That's that you were wrong say. about that. All right. I really, I, I, I get a sense from him that he is jacked, but he is, uh, he's exclusively an Asian. I, that's what literally I was going to say. All right, now my face is getting hot because evidently I've just been projecting my dating patterns fully onto Michael Luo. But, you know, we're not going to dwell on that right now. Uh, Before we ask you how you feel, Joel, Youngmi, how are you feeling? Oh, okay. Well, besides hungover, (laughs) not able to regulate my body temperature. Is that a feeling or what is that? That's a physical feeling. I think that counts. I'm sweating, but does anyone have a sweater? Um, I am feeling, you know, I was, I'm going through a lot of like, you know, I think I uh, was talking about how I was going through a really hard time in my life. I I was getting, I was so stressed out that I couldn't do my chaotic, uh, irresponsible hooking up with people, which is a thing that I do, Joel, like to like distract myself. You know, I'm just like, I'm just going to uh, yeah, have sex with someone I, I don't know. Hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I was doing that a lot, but then I was so stressed out that I couldn't do that because it was like freaking me out. Um, oh, so that's how you know something's really gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> when like you can't I squeeze focus- that in. <laughs> yeah, I had to focus on like serious stuff. Okay. Um, but I feel like I'm back, baby. Oh. I mean, I feel like I'm back. So the other night I was like having a drink with my friends. 
a, a few nights ago actually. And then it was like 8 PM and I was like, I'm just going to have like fucking sex with someone. So I just asked someone to come over at nine. <laughs> so I was like, I'm back. And now baby. And you're feeling you're on the men now. I'm just realizing that I can't go that long without like just quick, very, well, what's that called? Like short term gratification. What's that word? You know, like what you, what you, it's hard. So you have to do something. So it's fun. Like you eat like an ice cream sundae or something. Like being impulsive. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go with that. Like this <laughs> instant gratification thing. Instant gratification. But in a weird way, I think everything's so stressful right now that it's ma- made me very like, you know how everyone's like oh, always be in the moment. In a lot of ways, it's made me like that. Like, you know, like the example that I, I was like, I'm going to hook up with this person right now. Mm. Like I'm going to go eat a fried chicken sandwich. You know, like every moment is like, I have to have something very like stimulating Mm. and fun and like create some sort of positive feeling in me. Right, right. It's like the dopamine rush, you know? Yeah. Because I, I can't literally, I literally can't even sit in it for a minute. Like all the shit that's going wrong. What I think is kind of funny about this whole concept of instant gratification Yeah, is, that's what it is. Instant gratification. Right. But we we always attribute it to just positive and good things. Yeah. You know, like you just described like, I'm going to fuck someone and I'm going to have a chicken sandwich, but maybe it's a protective measure because I do a lot of like impulsive shit like that. And I'm sure oftentimes it leads to things that make me feel worse than I did before. Yeah, I I know what you mean. I, I do struggle with the shame part because like I feel like I'm, I'm not allowed to have fun. That's surprising to me because I've learned no, we've from you. I've this. learned from you to feel yeah. less shame. Well, I'm working on that in therapy. Mm. But my therapist was like saying it's I've said this a bunch of times, so it's just rehashing. But in case anyone forgot, it's like, you know, for me in my mind, I was like, oh, this like drinking a lot or like, yes, like hooking up with strangers is it could be harmful. I feel like I'm responsible, but it could be harmful. That isn't bad or it's not really damaging to me. It's like the shame and like the crippling shame that I have the next day is damaging. And that was like a big epiphany. And I feel like after that, I've been like working on it and it's like been better. I don't feel, I don't feel shame necessarily. Ooh. I'm, I'm where I'm very much about instant gratification when it comes to fucking strangers. Um, and Corona has been hard because it's definitely like, it's a coping mechanism for me when yeah. I'm stressed and it's one that's not been as available to me because of a glo- the global pandemic. But I, I just find it to be, un, and I think what the pandemic has laid bare to me is that it's so unsustainable as a source of stress relief. Because yes. like now that I can't do it, it's just like, yes, it's a quick dopamine hit to the brain and it's fun and like great and all those things. But now that I don't have it available to me, I have not been able to find anything to replace it. And oh, no. to, in, the, in terms of like the longevity of my mental health has not been as stable because I, I just like, I can't, I I don't, that instant gratification is no longer available to me. Um, yeah. In some senses. I mean, I'm still hooking up, but like, I've been saying this for months now. I just, I miss having sex with people I don't trust, you know, like like, every sex partner I've had has had to be like, you know, like when did the last time you get tested for COVID and like, you know, are you blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it sucks some of the joy out of it when I'm not hiding my wallet, you know, yes. um, when they come. hiding your debit card because <laughs> it's all in the just back have of to, the it, toilet, exactly, which is what my friend used to say. Oh my god, because she used to that, sleep so like, with a credit card scammer. Finding like a really casual way to just like drop, like tell somebody, like, hey, just so you are aware, I texted your address to my friend. They know I'm here <laughs> uh, in case you in case you were planning on murdering me. 
Yeah. Um, which is always hard to come back from, but I always found a way. I always found a way to get that penis right hard again after I accused them low-key of maybe trying to kill me. Yes, <laughs> that is that is a skill. Wait, I just want to point out because I feel like it's all these like a handful of people, which I don't know if yes. that's what you're doing, Joel. Like yeah, there's yeah, a handful yeah. It's of like people. From the Rolodex. Yes, right, that we're, right. they're like close enough friends to me where I do trust them. Yeah. And it's like those COVID people, safety, yeah. except for that one time that was a stranger that I told Brian about, but yeah. that's in our Patreon bonus But you know episode. what? You guys are also in New York. New York right. is doing so much better than a lot of other places right now. I feel right. like you, you can, you can treat yourself. <laughs> you can treat yourself to some anonymous sex <laughs> once in a blue moon, a little, get tested, but a little anonymous you know. sex for a me. Little, a little, a yeah, as a it. treat, as a, a little treat. But I did, I did get a COVID test right after that, though. How about you, bro? Okay, you know what? I just always feel, I feel, I'm full of shame right now. Again, I think that's what we got. I want to kill myself, <laughs> Brian. How are you feeling? <laughs> um. Somewhat related. I so I have said before that the one silver lining of this uh, pandemic for me is that it's made me more like conscious and deliberate when I go on dates with people because I think this past year I've found myself in so many stressful circumstances where I like casually hook up with people and then it just becomes so fucking stressful and I have to unload all my shame to young me. But I guess this past week, you know, I went on a date. It was responsible. It was fine. But I can't have everything, you know? Like, a part of me is super desperate. I'm in a place right now where I'm ready for a long-term relationship. I kind of want to find someone that I like chilling with before the second wave of this thing fucks us over in the winter. But at the same time, I have that little itch in me where I'm like, "Ah, I kind of just want to fuck around a bit and go back into these old ways that I know has been super chaotic and very stressful for me. And I don't know. I'm kind of stuck in this limbo. So that's how I'm feeling. And I'm only focusing on my dating life because right now it is the, uh, it's like the one the source. least depressing thing no. of everything. <laughs> and his dating life is so depressing. So that's saying a lot about the state of the world. <laughs> um, no, it is, it's the one thing that I feel like for better or for worse, it's like my dopamine source is yeah. like dating. Well, and, I feel like... yeah. There's this misconception that we're all looking for stability in the pandemic when I think what we're looking for is normalcy and a return to normalcy. And if normal, if baseline normal for you was chaos in your <laughs> dating life, then you're probably like craving that because that feels normal to you instead yes. of like the stability of a normal relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that's how exactly how I'm feeling where it's like I should like – for all intents and purposes, I have the time to like better myself and really focus on me. And all I want to do is return to some of the most toxic like <laughs> uh, attitudes and, and habits that I had from the before times because I just want to feel normal. I just want to feel normal again. And it's that, normal and, yeah. and stable are two separate things, I think. That's that a great, yeah. A cr- that's like blowing my mind because I was kind of like... You know, I was kind of feeling like that too. I was like, oh, I should get like a serious partner for the winter and then I will feel like I have somebody there. And and then I kept being like, ew, like, do you know what I mean? And I was like, gross. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. Interesting. What what you just said, Joel, reminds me a lot of what, there's this philosopher named Elaine de Botton and he has talked about how 
you know, as humans, you can identify if we're in like a toxic relationship, but why is it that we find ourselves like repeating these patterns? And like, even though you can intellectualize it, it's more a matter of like comfort. So like we find ourselves in these toxic relationships because perhaps that's just comfortable to you. And yeah. so what Joel is saying is that rather than stability, it's just like the chaos that we thrive in is this source of comfort for all of us. Yeah. And therefore that gets interpreted as stability. We're comforted when our debit cards are in danger. <laughs> yeah, danger. I mean, there's a, I, I lived in New York for so long and I miss it yeah. so much. And I miss like, I, I'm sure like the way that New York has slowed down in the pandemic has pro- probably feels crazy because you get used to a certain level of just like friction in your daily life again, yes. like, you know, and you don't, ha- if you don't have it anymore, it must feel uh, like completely disorienting. Yeah. I get, I get, you know, the threat of fist fighting at all times. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm used to that. Now I don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, how are you feeling? Uh, just awful. Really on the downward slope day, day oh. by day. Um, oh, no. not doing well. Um, and I, I, I think I may have plateaued a little bit in terms of the sort of depression and anxiety that I'm feeling around the pandemic. I'm sort of rebuilding like a life that works in this context, but it's been really, really hard mm-hmm. um, because I haven't been, you know, I'm my whole life has been upended like everybody else's and um, it's been hard for me to focus and I'm not working, you know, I'm not able to perform as much. It's, you get it. And, um, and it's been a real blow to like my mental health too. Like I've really, um, like all of the latent things that I struggle with, like I'm bipolar Mm -hmm. and like I had found a way to cope with that and found a way, like we were saying of like finding the stability in that chaos of my day-to-day life. And now that it's all quiet and I'm spending so much time alone with myself, it is maddening. Like it is, Mm. um, it's been, it's, it's been a real adjustment. Like this thing that I've been living with for years that I Mm -hmm. have found a way to cope with, I've now had to relearn how to cope with it because I'm suddenly now living on a different planet than I was a year ago. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's not been great. I feel like I don't have access to certain parts of my personality that have made me like that make me funny. Like I feel very unfunny, quite honestly. I feel unfunny. I, do too. I feel um, sort of stuck creatively. I feel mm. frustrated and not good and mad all the, a lot of the time. Like either I, I vacillate between being mad and bored. And those are the mm. two main emotions that I feel when I'm not on lovely podcasts, but when I'm on a podcast, <laughs> I feel free. I feel light. <laughs> I feel ready to chat. Um, I was going to say, like, you know, you mentioned how New York, you do miss that baseline friction that exists in the environment of New York. Like being in LA, I feel like it's the converse where in your surroundings, like there is this priority where people like love unpacking and discovering like well-being and like all have a wellness journey. Like in the backdrop of that, does it make your situation more difficult to cope with? It, it does because LA was always like, it, LA was home base for me, but I was like traveling and like re, being in other places really recharged me. And I, it's mm. been making me think about LA. Like I chose to move to LA because I've been, I was traveling so much and you know, like New York is such a great place to visit and not 
for me anyways, like the ideal place to live all the mm. time mm-hmm. because of the chaos of it. And, and so I sort of decided that like, if I'm going to be in New York, you know, once a month anyways, why not live in a more peaceful, like grounded place, which was right. for me, LA. And now that I'm completely grounded here, it is, um, I don't know, it's really laid bare, like all of the things that I hate about living here is mm. I feel very isolated. I, mm. I feel like I, I honestly have never wished I lived in New York more than this year. Um, right. I know that it was bad. I know that it was so bad when it was bad, but mm-hmm. to be quite honest, like looking at your caseloads now and looking at the, just the, the, the kind of life you're able to have in New York right now right. compared to LA, I'm very jealous of you guys. Very jealous. That's what I've been hearing about California. I just want, this is just me projecting my ideas into your story. But like, uh, well, I remember I've always kind of wanted to live in LA and I've always thought that maybe I would end up there. But what you said, the isolation always really scared me. Well, I was just, it's, it's one thing when you're like, I'm an extrovert. I feel very recharged by social interaction. Like I feel right. recharged by going to a fucking warehouse party and like losing myself sort of in the, in crowds, like pushing, pushing through bars. I love that. Like that is what recharges my battery. And now yeah. I just feel so depleted all the time because LA is such a, by, by virtue of like, the kind of city it is, you yeah. just don't see people. You know, you have all this right. space, which is great, but it, in theory, but in practice, oh, it has been yeah, yeah, a yeah. real nightmare. But like, in, the- in so many ways, though, I feel like we're complete opposites because I'm introverted, and so when I lived in LA, that isolation. I almost liked it and thrived in it because there's you didn't have to justify the isolation because that's just the natural state. Whereas here in New York, when there's so many things to do and people are out and about, but I'm choosing to stay in, that's when I feel particularly lonely and like have this like loser feeling. Mm. So it's like a converse of what you're experiencing. We should apartment swap, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> you it. just switch places. <laughs> Young me's like, fucking Joel, you host in- the podcast now. <laughs> Brian lives in Williamsburg. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, uh, this, this one thing that I, I feel always about New York is that I have a lot of like mental illness, mental health issues. And I feel like in New York, there's no like, I, I don't have to pretend that I don't. I can just yeah. be like, I'm fucking depressed. I have anxiety. Yeah. I might hit somebody. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I feel like in New York, there's like an allowance of that. And people are like, yeah, me too, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've it's always felt like, yeah. But I feel like in California, that's just like, breathe, yeah. do some <laughs> yoga. I don't know. Yeah, that's if, like, if you know, one like, more person suggests deep breaths to me as an alternative to my medication, <laughs> I'm oh my literally God. going to lose it. Um, oh. It's not the same. Breathing is helpful, but it is not the same as... Um, <laughs> well, butrin. <laughs> and also, I am breathing. That's that's why yeah. I'm not dead. Okay, yeah. shut the fuck up. I, well, I'm really glad that you said that and uh, that you were so open with that because I feel like you know with our podcast, I feel like a lot of people we always like if we get DMs, they're always like you know I've never heard somebody that's Asian say that they have like they're bipolar or I've never heard like an Asian person talk about depression that openly. Yeah, it so. is interesting. I I, I don't think that we talk about mental illness in our community with a lot of openness. I feel like it's like mm-hmm. one of the many, I feel like a lot of people of color, it's mm-hmm. not culturally like uh, acceptable to talk about it in. Um, and it's weird that it's like, 
you you hear it. I mean, you hear it in bad stand-up too, where it's like mental right. illness is a white people thing. You know, mm. like where it's like right. they're the only ones who are allowed to like talk and experience about it, and it is so. Um, I think it's important to make it a part of our experience too, yeah. a normalized part of our experience. I'm like writing that joke out of my joke book, like, oh shit, that's a, that's a 15 minute bit I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's bad. St- Joel just said that's bad stand up. Oh no. No, 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 no. It, it could, you, it oh, could go to wait. some good places. I think if you, just but like, I've just, you know, I think we've all heard that bit. Hey, yeah, I mean, why didn't you tell your closer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I've ever said. I don't think I've ever said that. I don't think I've ever said anything like white. I mean, white people do talk about mental health in a more open way, I guess, yeah. than Asian yeah. people. But I don't think I've ever said joke like that. Right. Well, my theory is is that as people of color, like we're we have to work so much harder to assimilate and just be like perceived as normal. And yeah. so, like. Yeah. I feel like any incongruencies in behavior or like mental health, it's magnified and it's like used and weaponized against us as a community. And so I think yeah. like we've just been conditioned to be like, even if we have these mental issues we want to talk about, just like brush it under the rug. We're normal. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. All right. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> whatever the fuck that means. Well, Joel, we like to ask all our guests this one question. Um, how Asian are you? Um, I think very, I think very Asian in that it's the first thing I think that people clock about me. And so <laughs> no matter, like they don't know all of the the context surrounding my Asian-ness, my relationship to my race, my relationship to my heritage or my culture. And so I think like just going off of like pure what the world sees, I'm very Asian. Um, and whatever that means, like, then that means whatever I do is Asian. So mm. it's automatic. Like I think about this constantly. I think about like how, even though I'm not, I, my, I, you know, for those who don't know, I was adopted by white people when I was a baby and don't, I didn't grow up around a lot of other Asian people. Mm. Um, and so it never felt like culturally Asian growing right. up. It doesn't really matter in mm. the, the long run because the way the world sort of processes me and what I do, like everything I do is pathologized to the rest of the group. You know, like mm. I think about this a lot where I'm like, I, I jaywalked the other day and I almost got hit by a car and I like made eye contact with this white driver and I was like, oh great, now <laughs> now they're going to think that like all Asians jaywalk, you know? Yeah. Like, or, like I'm creating new stereotypes just by like, existing in the world with the face that I have. And so that's like, and that's wild. Um, And it's, and I didn't have that. I didn't really realize that I was carrying that around, like that pressure of like, oh my God, everything I do is being Mm -hmm. perceived as quote unquote Asian Mm -hmm. to a certain degree by people outside of this group because uh, I didn't realize it until I went to Asia for the first time and Mm -hmm. lost it. And like Mm. suddenly was like, just one of many, like a face in the fucking crowd and it didn't yeah. matter anymore. And like, right. you know, I could, I could, whatever I did in public wasn't going to automatically come back to the rest of the group, the rest of the race. Yeah. And right. then I like came back to America and suddenly was an other again. And that's mm-hmm. when I really, you know, and it really was like a stark contrast. Right. Um, that's, that thought is always in the back of your mind whenever yeah. you're doing anything. You, if I'm having like 
you know, like an argument with someone I don't know on the street, it's always there in my mind. I'm like, now they're going to think that fucking Asian women are crazy and like, you know, unstable or something like that. Or I I have a six year old son and I feel like on the playground, like if I do certain things, I'm like, oh, this white mom is going to think that I'm doing this because I'm an Asian person and this is what yeah. Asian people do with their kids. Like that's that thought is constantly in the th- back of my mind. It's also like, it's almost worse too when like you're, con- when I do confirm a stereotype, I'm a bad driver. I don't have the attention oh, span to do it well. Me too. I'm right. uncoordinated. And so like it's whenever I like almost sideswipe someone and they see that I'm Asian, I'm like, fuck. I've like <laughs> now, in- I've not only like, confirmed it but I've you know re- reaffirmed it for for this person that may or may not harbor these feelings about Asian people it's awful right yeah, yeah. that's so true I mean yeah. I'm even like perceived like positive stereotype is like being good at math like yeah I've, there's been many moments where I am very good at math it's always been my strongest subject but I feel like embarrassed because mm, it's like yeah. oh fuck yeah. like I yeah, I'm, I'm the stereotype. Like, I'm good I, at this thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm imagining Brian, like, at dinner, and they're like, oh, we got to split this four ways. What is it? And everyone's like, I don't know. What's $200 split four ways? And Brian's just sitting there like, I don't know either. I don't know. What is it? What, let me get my calculator. <laughs> like, he's hiding it. <laughs> 100%. It's emotionally so draining. You're the first guest yeah. to really answer that question in that in this like outside in oh, way yeah you know and i think it makes so much sense and I, I guess like maybe when you were growing up in this predominantly white community did you always feel very asian on the inside before you really like processed like the pathology of being asian and how others would perceive you no i mean it's so strange because it was more really like when i reflect on growing up the way i did mm-hmm. like it was just a general sense of otherness. It wasn't mm. necessarily one of like, I'm Asian in a white community. I'm. It was more really about being non-white in an all-white community because there were right. very few black people too. There were very few like of any other race. Um, and then you would, except for when there was, and then you would all sort of like, it would be the issue, like the defining thing about you was like, you know, there was, Aaron, who was good at basketball, and Chad, mm-hmm. who was good at PlayStation, and Ben, who read, and Joel, he's Asian, you right, know? Right. And it's like you get your identity <laughs> just gets flattened in that way. Right. And then the other thing is, is that like, I guess I like around middle school, uh, maybe elementary school, it really did start to become a little bit more definitively Asian because like you're just given all of every time you know, like karate you own, you Mm. know? And like Jackie Chan Mm. is yours and um, Chinese food is yours. And it really, it was so funny that like I I was brought up and sort of socialized to believe that all of these culturally Asian things sort of like were mine. And then to find out that like, no, actually like karate is not Korean. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your own martial art. Jackie yeah. Chan is is Chinese. He's not of you. You know, it's like it, yeah. that only happened when I became an adult and honestly moved to New York where I was surrounded by a lot of other Asians for the first time and really started to like have Asian friends. And like it, it was just so weird to like grow up and be and I identify with all of these sort of like stereotypically Asian signifiers mm-hmm. and then right. to like grow up and move to New York and get Asian friends and then be told that none of them belong to me actually. Right. But doesn't that feel, I don't don't know. I feel like people who have been adopted, like 
they, you know, there's like this journey of like what they get to own as a person, like they're part of their culture that they get to own. And I always feel like it's so unfair for other people that are Asian that are not adopted to like tell them what they can and can't own. Cause like, I feel like that's very like, it's so mean and cruel in a way. It's weird because I really don't, I, I, it's not, when I say I'm not proud to be Korean necessarily, it's not that I'm ashamed of being Korean, but it's Mm -hmm. just, I don't have strong feelings about our culture. Like, specifically what yeah. i am interested in is the experience of being asian american mm. like right. that is much more like i'm proud to be asian american and i'm proud yeah. of like our collective racial identity and the community that we've created from that it never it never really crosses my mind to be like specifically like proud of my korean heritage in a, right. in, a in a definitive way because it just does that is so specific to, uh, you know, the way you are brought up in your family yeah. and and stuff like that, that it, it just doesn't belong to me. And yeah. like, it, it doesn't interest me. Yeah. But like the experience of like our collective experience as racially Asian in this country, like, and the kind of culture that springs from that is yeah. more interesting to me at the end of the day and is more yeah. powerful to me as someone who grew up being sort of racially treated as an Asian person, but not culturally treated specifically as a Korean person. You know, it's like yeah. such a weird fine that line. Makes so much sense. Yeah. That like, that like makes so much sense. And it also does like shed some light on how you did answer that question. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't identify with like a lot of the Korean stuff, but you can't identify with every Asian American when you just, you know, like you said, like, Oh, every time I do something wrong, they're going to think it's all of us, which every each one of us has felt that. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And to add to that, you know, I I have read interviews with POC artists who have um, perhaps obtained a little bit more mainstream success or more public recognition and how they've described that there is a, uh, there's this challenge that comes with this recognition of like now suddenly you're thrust as this uh, this voice for mm. like an all-encompassing voice for this group that you are supposed to represent. And I'm curious, like, you know, for me, it's been very cool to see you, Joel. Like, I remember seeing you at like open mics at Pine Box and then suddenly you were doing late night sets and it's been very, very awesome to watch. And as you're, as you've become a little bit more recognized in like, popular media have you experienced a similar challenge in that way because like you said like there's a lot of nuance to all of this but like when people see you do they just assume like okay joel like now you're the expert of all things asia yeah act accordingly it's really it's been an interesting challenge to sort of be authentically me and talk about the things that comedically are interesting to me while also understanding that there's now this huge expectation about like the kinds of things that I talk about. It's interesting mm. because, you know, my first half hour was like a very traditional introduction to me. I talked yeah. about my upbringing. I talked about, you know, the r- racism and I talked about um, being Asian and being gay and all of these things. And it was just like a very general, that's the kind of stuff that was like interesting to me at the time that that special came out. And now as I'm preparing this new hour and I've been touring this hour for a, a about a year now, um, 
notwithstanding this, the corona break. Right. And it's interesting because there's a lot of Asian people that come to the show. And I, I wonder sometimes, I do think, I do see the faces drop when I just like am not talking about our experience. And I, and mm. I sometimes I even go to the Asians in the crowd and I'm like, do you feel represented right now? I'm sorry if you don't, you know, <laughs> like it is. I'm sorry if you don't feel represented by this anymore. And it is like, it is a pressure that I think a lot of people who, you know, straight white guys don't have to worry about that right and they don't yeah they don't have to worry and and it's it's unfortunate because i think like and this happens with me as being a gay comic too like i think that the media puts me in front of people's eyes and says look this is for you this is for you because right. you share this identity and yeah. ulti- and then there's you know a lot of times there's a positive i'm so i have so many asian followers and i am so happy to foster this community like and be a part of the asian community that does feel represented by what I'm doing just sort of incidentally and is proud of my success, whatever, whatever. Right. But like, there's a lot of backlash that happens mm. from Asian Americans and gay men who mm. see my act and they say, that's not me. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Oh, like, I'm not right. like that. And it's like, well, you were wow. never supposed, you were never supposed to like it because it's not for you, but yeah. you're right. just being told that it is for you because we mm. share these, these, these signifiers. And that's really frustrating. It's like, I, I, I have this added layer of people like not only not they're unable to just say that's not for me and move on. They have right. to sort of they feel the need to say that's not for me. He doesn't represent all of us. We're better than this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because uh-huh. they're, you know, the powers that be are telling them that like this is the one. This is you, right. you know, and like. Hopefully I it, things get easier as like, you know, there's, it's less of, I feel like I'm certainly not the only one. Like there are so many of us now and that really is like a help and a boon and we're all so different. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I can't imagine what it was like for someone like Margaret Cho, who was for the while, the only Asian, the only like <laughs> prominent Asian female yeah. standup, you know? Right. And now yeah. there's, you know, I'm not even the only like gay Asian standup anymore, you know, like I have like, and I'm friends with many Bowen is out there doing his thing. And like, you know, he represents a completely different. And I think like, I'm so glad that Bowen is successful as he is because it really does prove, I think that like people liked before when we were coming up and he's one of my best friends Mm -hmm. would Uh put us in the same box all the time. Because right. it's like, right. oh, you you two are the same. Your signifiers and are right. the same. We couldn't, and it's just because those two major signifiers are the same. Yeah, and yeah. we couldn't be any different. And we always felt very different from each other. And I feel yeah. like our it's comforting now that like I think people are starting to see that and are able to see that mm. and and see that there are a lot of different ways to do this, even as like gay Asian men. You are too, like, you're so different, I feel like, your comedy yeah. style. Oh, yeah. You're For so sure. different. And so, but yeah. you know, I just realized, like, that's like cool, though, that you both have these, like, great careers. Yeah. Sorry. I'm and just it's like, not, I'm well, because there, there was a time, I think, yeah, I'm when. Sure. Yeah. I think, especially this was happening, even when I started 10 years ago doing stand up, uh-huh. it wasn't, there was especially among like gay comics, I think there was this idea of like pulling the ladder up after you because there was only, there was only room for one. And that luckily changed by the time I got to New York, I really do feel like that changed. Like Brian, you know this from being running in the same open mic circles that I did. There were 
plenty of gay comics and I was friends with most of them because like there wasn't like this weird, like it started to fade away this competition. And I think it's because we decided that like, no, that's bullshit. Like, Mm -hmm. like we're all so different. We can like, why, why, why aren't we on the same lineups? You know, why are bookers only saying like, well, we've, we've got the gay comic now. We don't need another one when, when we're so different and we're talking about different shit. And um, I think like my generation really did say like, no, that's not how we're going to operate anymore. And um, made room for everybody at the table. Yeah. And I feel like now, I mean, we had an, another mean, Asian comic on that was saying it's almost like we're like in a group and we're like very much feeling like we're supportive of each other. But there, there was there was a switch that happened because it became less about like intra competition. And once we realized like, oh, we don't have to submit ourselves to the system that pits yeah. us against each other. We like and help each other. Even out. with like Asian comedians in New York, it's so it's like a tragedy that for whatever reason, it would take me longer to meet some of them just because we would never be booked on the same show. Booked on the same show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It would be like, if there's one of us, like we just never would be on the same show. Right. And every time there would be like a random like Asian showcase at like Stand Up New York, I would meet people that I had never seen before. Right. (laughs) By the way, there used to be a showcase. I don't know if you were ever booked on this or remember this, Brian. Uh There used to be a showcase at Stand Up New York um, called Rush Hour and I didn't get it. (laughs) <laughs> and then I, I realized the night of, I was looking at the lineup, the conceit of the show was black and Asian comics. Oh I've, done, I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> and so the lineup was always oh just black God. and Asian comics. And it was named after the movie Rush Hour. And right. I did not realize it until I was like on stage and I it dawned on me. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh so my God. funny. Um, oh my great, God. good times, good times. Also, another takeaway from what Joel just said. Yeah. Um, if anyone in Hollywood's listening... If you're an Asian actor and you're in a movie, not all Asian dudes have to be super incredibly buff. There's also <laughs> different. <laughs> Some of us are just skinny and not wait, super buff. Wait, Joel's really buff though. <laughs> Joel, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say really buff. I'm gonna. So I wanted to say. Okay, so we had Asa Kira on the show, and do you remember we like met? We met you at the same time yes, yes. through uh-huh. Anne. I want to tell you this funny story. Well, first, I'm like, can I can I just tell the story? It's because I think this is yeah. hilarious. First, Joel like had no idea who Asa was because <laughs> obviously, you know, why would you yeah. watch her not, work or films? Her, yeah, she's not for me. Yeah, <laughs> but and so you're like, oh, hi, nice to meet. And then you came back and you're like, oh my god, I. I'm like so interested in you, Asa, because I just texted my friend that I met you and they texted me back, a legend. <laughs> yeah, she, I believe the words were, she's the queen of anal. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, you're like, oh my God, tell me everything. And you're like talking to her and you're like really into it. But, um, but then this is this part you don't know. Afterward, I like stayed at her house and she, she was like, oh my God, we just met like Joel Kim Booster. He was like the best. He was like the nicest, funniest. And then she showed her husband like your shirtless picture. And he was like, oh, what? What? And she was like, oh no, he's gay. And then he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but for like a split second, he was like, wait, who the fuck is this Joel Kim Booster? <laughs> I love that. I saw that I all go down. I love that I caused marital strife for Asa Akira. I also, love that story. That's <laughs> so funny. Also, I'm exaggerating. He's a very sweet person. It was obviously a joke, but he was like sweating a little because he saw your ripped nine pack. He was like, wait, who is this? Who is this person? Oh, God. 
Yeah. You don't want to see it. You don't want to see it post pandemic. It's going to be a struggle to get back to that. Oh, stop. To that oh, place, but. stop. Stop it. <laughs> now you're just being Asian. <laughs> being humble. <laughs> Joel, thank you so much again for doing our podcast. It was so fun. We have one more question that we'd like All to ask right. our guests. Can you tell us something that you're proud of? Yeah, this was like really hard. I was like, it's, I don't feel like a lot of like pride in a ton of things. And especially I'm trying to remember the last time I felt proud of something I did in quarantine. So I guess I have to go Mm. back to like last year. But last year, I used my MBC money to pay off my student loans, which is something I never thought I'd be able to do before I turned 50. Fucking Um, incredible. Fucking amazing. Yeah, I feel really fucking good about it. And I feel really proud of it, especially because I had to take out an egregious amount of loans to go to school because I didn't have parental support. And right. the my senior year, everyone had to go in to like a financial advisor meeting about like your plan for paying off your student loans after you graduate. And this this lady, Nancy Askins, I'll never forget her name, <gasps> was like, she looked at my my debt and she looked at my major, which was theater. And she was like, what were you thinking? Why did you come to this school? Oh like, my God. It's like what you're like, she was like, basically told me, she's like, you're never going to pay these off. Um, and it put such fear and stress and anxiety into me. And she was, she literally said the words, what were you thinking Jesus. Um, to me? And to be fair to her, it was uh, like, what I was thinking was I was 18, emancipated from my parents, didn't have anybody mm. telling me, like yeah. the reality of student loan debt and like right. you know i it, it's when you're 18 debt that you don't have to pay back for 4 years like that like it it feels graduating from college felt so far away i was like mm-hmm. this is this is fine i'm going to do i'm going to like live it up and so uh she was right in some respects but i no, always believed I was always you paid believed it off. I would get it. Because I paid it off. Yeah. You should I mean, email it, it, her. Did you email her? Yeah, I was wondering. No, I don't even know if she's still alive. She no. was pretty old when <laughs> I text uh, me her name. So I will find is. her. So she died the moment you paid off that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the day She disintegrated into dust the minute I did it. I'm gonna find her. I'm gonna email her oh and be God. like, I'm gonna the the first the first thing I'm gonna say is listen, bitch. <laughs> I live for this draw. Are you kidding me? This is what I live for. <laughs> All right. That's amazing. I bet so many people are just like sobbing listening to you because they will never pay off their debts and they (laughs) are so jealous. (laughs) They're like, me too. I went to NYU for theater. (laughs) Oh my God. I never went to college, so I don't know. You two can get cast in a short lived, like, legendarily underwatched NBC sitcom. And then maybe you too will be able to pay off your student loans with that money. Yeah. No, young me. That's my new happen. dream now. That's my dream too. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've ever wanted. You talked about this throughout the episode, how this quarantine has been really fucking hard for you. And if there's any, like have you, have there been any coping mechanisms that, have been somewhat helpful? I mean, I think really finding, um, and you know, everyone's threshold for this is going to be different based on, you know, how comfortable they feel, but I get tested a lot and I, I have a pod of friends that get tested a lot and, um, just like really spending time with them, spending time with people as much as you are able to is like, I mean, it seems so obvious to me, but I get really like, 
it is possible for me to just like smoke a bunch of weed and forget and and just sort of wallow in my despair over you know what my life looks like right now and stay at home and watch you know 10 episodes of whatever whatever on television but i think like even like just like forcing myself to make dinner plans forcing mm. myself to like you know hang out to make plans with people and even though it's annoying that you have to get tested beforehand and blah 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 it's just like all that work is really worth it because it just for me recharges a lot of my faculties i think and um you know and 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 doing as as much zooming as possible too like honestly mm-hmm. like like doing this podcast for me is self-care because like yeah. I, you guys are the first people i've spoken to all day and you will probably be the last people i speak to all day Ugh. and and i needed it I yeah. needed it. I feel I like before talking to you guys, I felt like so drained from doing mm. nothing. And yet mm. like talking to you guys has made me feel like a, activated me in a real way. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. We yeah. feel the same way. I was like, it's weird because I identify as kind of like an introvert as well. But I have noticed that when I do make the plans, when I do do the podcast, you know, when I do like FaceTime my friends, I feel so much better. So that's like, I feel like that's great advice. When I do hook up with my I'm scared. <laughs> 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 <that dick. laughs> feel better. Um, All right. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much again, Joel, for joining us and for just, you know, laying it all out there and being open and transparent about this fucking, the confusing feelings that come with this time. And I guess for our listeners, um, where can they find you or your work or if you have anything yeah, I'm, to promote? Um, I'm at I Hate Joel Kim on most <laughs> social media platforms. <laughs> and you can look up I Stefan. I'm on YouTube. I'm, you know, I'm all over the place. You can stream Sunnyside on Hulu. You can do a lot of things if you want. Um, I'm sure yeah. our listeners have already done all of those things. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Follow Joel at I hate Joel Kim. Kim. Mm-hmm. Wait, is your middle name Kim? My legal middle name is Kim, um, but it's my birth surname. Oh, my parents okay. um, included it in my like oh, my adopted name as okay. well as like an oh, it's a little, little homage. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you that because I just realized yeah. I was like, oh, is that like that's your actual name? That's awesome. Yeah. All right. And of, of course, Brian, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you guys can find me on socials at It's Brian Park. And what about you, young me? YM Mayor. Yeah. And Yay. follow the uh, Feeling Asian podcast Instagram at Feeling Asian Podcast and donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. And lastly, uh, thanks to your amazing Patreon donations, we've hired an amazing, amazing sound engineer. Sarah. Sarah. So if you are someone who has a similar project or needs a very talented sound engineer, um, reach out to her at impact, I-M underscore P-A-K-T. And yeah, thanks again for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.